This is Shannon in Durham. And I had to stay in Durham back in November of 2015 while Chip and Erica got to attend the Long Island Who convention. While there, they did a panel all about Babylon 5. This is their conversation. While they managed to keep the major spoilers under wraps, if you are watching with us for the first time and are spoiler-phobic, put this episode on the back shelf until you've seen the series. Thanks for listening. Welcome, you guys, to uh, what did we decide to call this? The Whovian's Guide, 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 Guide to Babylon, to Babylon 5. 5. Yeah, um, and I am amazed and thrilled at the turnout here. You guys do know this is a Doctor Who convention, right? <laughs> What's <laughs> Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like your style. Um, so, my name is Erica Ensign, and I will let Chip introduce himself. Uh, my name is Chip. No, um... <laughs> All right. Uh, what, what, what do you do? Uh, I am co-host of a little podcast called The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, along with Chip. And Chip's lovely wife, Shannon, who unfortunately could not be here this weekend. She wishes she was. So I say hi to all of you from her. Uh, and, and we are here to talk about Babylon 5 for uh, a little while. And I, you know, I feel like there's something missing, actually. Wait, Just... wait. I, I, I have it. Ha. Oops. Wrong way? Yep. That's a big neck. I'm no longer cool. <laughs> he said as he puts on a season one Earth Force jacket custom made by my good friend in the pre Renaissance TARDIS dress back there, Stephanie Strauss. Let's give a hand to Stephanie because this is amazing. This is the first time I have ever in my life done anything resembling cosplay. And I'm doing a Babylon 5 Earth Force uniform at a Doctor Who convention. There is something fundamentally wrong with it. <laughs> you just got picked up by the Doctor one time. Yeah. So. Old Boss was wearing a Star Wars t-shirt on Friday. So. There we go. There we go. It's a work in it's a, it's a work in progress. I love it. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, I'm annoyed with the guy who was supposed to make the brass pieces for me, who hasn't gotten the brass pieces for me yet. But uh, yeah, as you might know, that even though I do a podcast about doc, about Doctor Who, I really love Babylon Five, mm-hmm. and I think one of the weird things about being a Babylon Five fan and a Doctor Who fan mm-hmm. is it's like. A totally these are these these are like it, the one show is like the mirror universe version of the other show. Mm-hmm. They don't have a whole lot in common, and yet Erica and I really love both of these shows. So um, we are both Doctor Who podcasters as well as Babylon Five podcasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chip is known also as the Two Minute Time Lord, and I am a co-host of Verity Podcast and Lazy Doctor Who. So uh, the fact that we found each other that way and then discovered we both had this love of a completely different show, uh, which, like Chip said, very kind of mirror universe. You have Doctor Who, which spans spans forever and ever, and has very little like super hard continuity. And then you get Babylon Five on the other hand, which is a specific beginning, middle, and end, and is very much a slave to its continuity in, I think, a great way. Right. So um, the reason we're calling this the Whovian Guide to Babylon 5 is to sort of talk about the show in the context of the, the, the show that we're all here for, Doctor Who, and, uh, and possibly introduce some people to the show who haven't seen it before. So this is really important because of spoilers. Um, I need to know how many people have seen Babylon 5 before. 
Raise your hands. Actually, can we see, put your hands down, can we see people who have not seen Babylon 5 before? Okay. I've seen a couple of... I'm seeing some hands going like this. All right, that's, that's good. Okay. There is no way that we can talk about Babylon 5 without spoiling some stuff. So, so, so for the three for the three of you who have never seen it before, we'll try to be careful. But there is some stuff that is that we will not be able to avoid talking about. So that's all right. So, so you know, keep keep be warned. Um, this this is also the reason why um, our occasional guest on the podcast, uh, Erica's husband, Stephen Chapansky, our control group, as I like to call him, who is watching the show for the first time, mm-hmm. he's not here right now. No, I, he, I told him he's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, for example, we know that the bad guys, the principal bad guys in the Babylon 5 universe are called the Shadows. On the podcast, we have only just gotten to the episode in the Shadow of Zahadum, in which, for the first time, the bad guy aliens have been explicitly called the Shadows. Yeah, before that, they just appeared and were, you know, these murky figures who were clearly bad but didn't have a name. Yeah, we had we and we had uh, we had lines like, "I saw Lord Kiro." Killed by shadows. Ah, ha, 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 ha. So, you know, you can infer that sort of thing. But we were so careful not to spoil people on, the, on our podcast, including Stephen, <laughs> yep. that for the longest time we've been calling the bad guys by Stephen's name for them, the space mob. <laughs> yes. You, you see Mr. Morden appear in the first episode that he is in, and he just has that kind of look about him, and Stephen just said, you know, this is a guy that's making an offer you can't refuse, and he's just a space mob. That was his instantaneous uh, terminology. So if we use that phrase, that's what we mean. Yeah. So um, let's, tell, let's tell folks a little bit about the podcast, and then we'll talk a little bit about Babylon 5. Um, Erica, would you... Sure. Uh, so, so, as Chip said, we, we have started at the very beginning. Actually, we, for well, it's those, a very good place to start. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and if you haven't listened to the podcast, we do have uh, what we call an episode zero, which just talks about kind of why we love Babylon 5 in somewhat generic terms to start out with. Uh, but one of the most important things that we decided when we set up to do the podcast was that we want people as much as possible to be able to experience the show for the first time along with us without getting spoiled on some of the major, major things. So at the middle, roughly the middle-ish of every episode, we we basically stop and say, hey, anybody who hasn't seen the show before and doesn't want spoilers, please, you know, jump off, hit stop. Uh, and and then we continue the rest of the podcast talking about Babylon 5 with that episode within the context of the entire five-year span of the show because a show that, that has a beginning, a middle, and an end really lends itself to being looked at through the lens of future continuity as well as past continuity. And we didn't want to leave that on the floor, but we also didn't want to alienate people who hadn't seen it before. So every episode has a, um, a, a spoiler-free section, and then we go through a jump gate and get to the spoiler section at the what end. What do you do with Steven during this? Steven, when Steven guests on the show, we kick him off. <laughs> we do. We do. We, we space him. Yep. Excellent. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. And then we can breathe and say whatever we want. Sometimes it gets a little bit stressful during that first half of the show if Steven is on with us um, because we are very careful not to say anything. If we screw up when Steven's not on, we can edit it out because of the magic of editing. But when Steven's around, we have to tread on eggshells. Yeah. So um, Babylon 5, as most of you know, is a novel for television. It is a story with a beginning, middle, and an end, and then a, and then a, a sequel or two that 
didn't didn't exactly find a catch great on. that didn't have a great fate. I don't think they were even given a chance to catch on. No, you're right. Um, so it is a completely different experience from watching Doctor Who. Fundamentally, watching fundamentally different because Doctor Who is a story without end. Um, Doctor Who is about different genres. It is about it, it's in some ways it's an anthology. Um, Even when it ends, it doesn't end. Like it'll always, I hope, come back. And it contra- <coughs> it contradicts itself at just about every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Babylon Five, when it contradicts itself, somebody slipped up. It's an accident. <laughs> Um, the, because because the showrunner couldn't make it happen. So I think one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about, Erica, is about why we have this love for these two different kinds of shows and what it feels like to um, what it feels like to be a Babylon Five person who wants everything to make sense and wants to have all the clues and all that stuff. Watching, say, season six of Doctor Who. <laughs> Great pick. <laughs> yeah, where uh, where that is like the most arc heavy season of New Who because mm-hmm. of the mystery about the Doctor and Lake Silencio and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The, those are two really really different experiences of watching television. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I <clears throat> I grew up watching Doctor Who. My mom discovered the show when I was about five years old. So for me, Doctor Who has just always been around, and it's been kind of a part of my life and a part of my DNA for that whole time. So I really grew up with this idea of, you know, Doctor Who going anywhere, doing anything, being anyone, you know, he kept changing. And then when it was off the air, um, I still loved it, but I wasn't watching, you know, I wasn't going back and watching the VHS tapes that my mom had made off of PBS every week or anything. And, um, but I was a real book reader, and I like the characterization that Babylon 5 is a novel for television because um, it really does feel like that. So when Babylon 5 came along, I didn't jump in until, I think it was early season 3, just randomly kind of found it because it was being shown just before Deep Space Nine, which I was watching with my friends. And we got hooked on it and just found the, the continuity aspect was, yeah, very different from Doctor Who, but in kind of a, a refreshing way. Um, I feel like there's room in my, my fandom brain for all different types of entertainment and different types of, of storytelling, and I think that really filled a, a niche in my soul that, uh, that, you know, Doctor Who didn't. It fills most of my soul, but that's one thing that it, that it doesn't quite have. Yeah. <clears throat> Watching Babylon Five is it's it's sort of luxuriating in a story that's supposed to have meaning and everything fits together. It's sort of, for me it's a, it's a TV show that speaks to the part of me that wants everything in the world to make sense. Everything everything happens for a reason. Everything has consequences. Um, and we're nerds. Let's face it. That left brain is chugging. It is. It is. And if you were watching the show back in the day when it was first on the air, uh, our podcast is named "The Audio Guide to Babylon Five as a very specific homage to one of the, the, the one of the best websites in the world at the time, the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five at midwinter.com/lurk. It's still a resource for me all the time. In all its 1995 HTML glory, I mean, still there, go, still looks like it. Oh my God! I mean, <laughs> it, it, default Times New Roman font and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of our one of our friends, uh, the mastermind of the incomparable Radio Network, uh, of which mm-hmm. Eric is wearing the shirt, Jason Snell. Um, 
he was a contributor to the Lurker's Guide back in the day, and he uh, shows up on our podcast from time to yeah, time. Yeah, it's kind of a nice way to sort of tie into that history of not just the show, but the history of the fandom of the show, which honestly is something that I kind of missed out on. I saw people in the audience nodding when Chip was starting to talk about um, midwinter.com slash lurk, and... I, I did not have access to any of that at the time. I didn't really have internet access, and I didn't know that there was such a thing as fandom in the first place. So uh, it was just me and my two friends watching it and squeeing and, and going, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, so now being able to kind of, like, I feel like I'm going back in time every time I look up an episode uh, on the Lurker's Guide, and I, I feel like I'm seeing uh, a little bit of history right there of the fandom, and I feel like I'm participating from the future. So that's another little Doctor Who tie-in because I'm, I'm looping around. Yeah, I mean, back then online the Babylon 5 fandom was at Rec Arts SF TV Babylon 5 dot moderated that was very important at the time um, and uh, you know uh, for I, I was there all the time I was never at Rec Arts Doctor Who or whatever the Usenet group at the time was yeah um, yeah I wasn't there either yeah uh, but that was our that was that was our Gallifrey base I guess at the time um, but what we did in in that fandom, as we were just going nuts over this cult TV show that was on random television stations every year, was trying to figure out what's coming next. I don't think that's much of a... Con- there, we get some of that with what's Moffat's plan for this season going to be now. But oh, that, there are corners of Tumblr that are devoted specifically to what is coming next. And some of the crack theories coming out of there and the Doctor Who land are a thing to behold. So I do think the Doctor Who fandom has that, but it's maybe the, the podcasting corner of Doctor Who fandom doesn't quite have the same speculative nature as, uh, as some of the other corners. Maybe. And, um, and there's a lot less raw material to work with if you're um, a Doctor Who fan trying to predict the future. Um, there's a lot of, as Erica likes to say, headcanon involved. Yes. Whereas Doctor, whereas Babylon 5, five years of mystery type storytelling and clues being planted. And on a, purpose. On purpose. And a long game with, a thousand, with, the, with the universe having a thousand year history, which is very important. I am not going to say the V word because we ha- we do have some people who are discovering the show for the first time in here. But you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Broke my heart. <laughs> favorite character. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's totally it it, it, it it is it is totally different. And I'm I'm curious, Erica. You've you've re- you've watched this show. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You've watched this show a few times over the years. And, I think it's fair to say, as much as you love Babylon 5, mm-hmm. you're, you're Doctor Who fangirl. You're, you're a Doctor mm-hmm. Who fangirl at your core. True, very true. So <clears throat> having been involved with Doctor Who for so long and loving it so much, how do you approach watching B5? Well, I have to, I have to be honest. Uh, despite the fact that I was a Doctor Who fan forever, when Babylon 5 was on and Doctor <laughs> Who was not... I, I really, and this is this is the nerdiest thing, uh, but I would I would like have conversations with myself in my head where I'd be like, oh my god, I think Babylon Five might be my favorite show even more than Doctor Who, and it was like a personal crisis for me to have thoughts like that because I had grown up with the other show. So it was it's a, you know it seems like a, a funny question, but it's it my approach to watching Babylon Five at that time was a little bit angsty. <laughs> Because I, I found myself drawn into it so completely, and just I mean, 
you know, people talk about punching the air. I was doing that on a regular basis because I was just so in love with the characters and, and the story and the fact that the story was moving along and, and the characters were uh, changing based on their actions, which is something that I didn't see on TV very often. Even in Doctor Who, especially in classic Doctor Who, you didn't always see a lot of character arcs. So when I came to this show... Well, you got Mary. That was a character arc. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on Android. Okay, it was a character comma. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my approach to it was just that I, I found myself kind of forgetting about Doctor Who for a while, and you know I feel like it was my, it was my college years. You experiment, right? Uh, so I was <laughs> so I was experimenting with Babylon Five, and I felt a little bit like I was cheating on my primary fandom. But then I grew up and realized there's enough room in my heart for for all of it. But it is I do come to Babylon Five with sort of a different mindset when I sit down. So when I sit down to watch it, um, even having seen it before, watching it again and seeing the clues that are planted throughout the entire history of the series and some of the clues that end up not paying off because, you know, actors decide to leave or whatever. Um, it's, it, I don't do that so much with, with Doctor Who or I didn't before Stephen Moffat took over. So that's more of when I watch Doctor Who, I'm watching it with just sort of an open mind and I'm, I'm still that little five-year-old kid when I watch Doctor Who. I think when I watch Babylon 5, I'm still that college kid. So that's the difference for me. Yeah. When I, I, missed, I missed my opportunity to get really into Doctor Who when I was uh, a teenager. You know, it was watch it, watch it when you can on PBS, but, you know, and it was great to have more sci-fi. But I didn't become really into Doctor Who until it came back. And I think one of the things that... Uh, that really triggered my love for Doctor Who was the that was that when the show came back, character arcs and story arcs were a bigger thing. Um, Russell T. Davis is open about his admiration of Buffy and how the DNA of Buffy is in new Doctor Who all over the place. I think Buffy takes a lot of lessons from Babylon 5, which was the first sci-fi show that really, really cranked, at least in American mm-hmm. television. Um, uh, it, 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 I think B5 probably has a, owes a debt to Blake 7. But Clearly. as far... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? <laughs> uh, but as far as uh, Babylon... As far as uh, American TV's mm-hmm. concerned, there is some B5 DNA in um, Doctor Who. Just... Just in that sort of evolution of TV storytelling. And I don't think it's an accident that Torchwood 4 disappeared mysteriously. Ah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, you know, as I was saying, one of the things that drew me to it, to the show in, in college was the, the character arcs, the fact that you see repercussions for what the characters do and it changes them. And, and not only, yeah, I mentioned classic Doctor Who, but any other television show that wasn't really happening. Um, any of the other sci-fi, sci-fi things, you know, like Buck Rogers is always Buck Rogers. Like, you know, he starts out fresh every episode and it's, it's still the same thing. All of television was, was pretty much like that. Um, so I do think that, yeah, without Babylon 5 breaking ground for that type of storytelling, we probably wouldn't have the Doctor Who that we have today. So um, what we, we've been talking a lot about story arcs because that is kind of the signature for B5, but mm-hmm. is story arcs the reason that you got into the show? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't think I recognized that at first because actually the very first episode that I saw um, 
was one that was kind of a one-off and didn't really, the, one, the first one that captured me, didn't really have a, uh, a real hook into the arc. That was um, a late delivery from Avalon, and it had some, some Arthurian myth and stuff. So that was, uh, that was something that I've always been fascinated with. So my, my friends and I, um, we would... We, we had been watching uh, Deep Space Nine every week, and just like I would get there earlier and earlier and see little bits and pieces of the show that we used to make fun of because the special effects looked weird. Um, sorry. And, and then this one episode caught our eye, and we all liked the Arthurian myth. We watched it. And that was what, that was what hooked us, but I think what kept us coming back was that even in those, those stories that didn't have a whole lot to do with the larger arc, you would get little bits and pieces um, that seemed very tantalizing. So that when, we, you, know, when you hit a story that's, that's more heavily arc-based, it's like, oh, they've been seeding these little things, and now, now I, am, I am hooked. So that, I think it, that wasn't what drew me to the show in the first place because we caught it in the middle, but that is what kept us coming back for more. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's really important about character development in these arcs, too. You can't, you can't have a story arc that is all about this happens and then this happens and this happens. That's sort of future, fake or future history rather than storytelling. But the characters in B5 grow and change. I just came out of um, interviewing uh, Noel Clark. Mickey Smith has a two-year character arc. Uh, insultingly called on the one Doctor Who confidential from zero to hero. Yeah. Uh, But that's that's an example of it. Uh, Babylon 5 is full of characters who are changed by the things that they do and the The choices that they make. And the choices that they make. And that's another uh, bit of a um, link that I find between Doctor Who and Babylon 5 that scene in the restaurant in the parting of the ways when Rose uh, when Rose just says that she's not going to have it with uh, Mickey and um, her mom uh, saying you know just leave it alone let's have some chips you know and she says no the doctor taught me that you do something and that is kind of the uh, manifesto of Babylon 5 as well I think uh, the showrunner is J. Michael Straczynski, whose most recent project is uh, Sense Eight on Netflix with the Wachowskis. I love it. I don't think Erica does. Uh, I quite liked the non-Wachowski directed episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, but these are all stories about how characters relate to each other and what happens and things like that. We get that a lot in modern Doctor Who, with uh, especially in the RTD season. But you know, the story of Amy and Rory is a particular example mm-hmm. of uh, characters changing and impacting each other and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you are, if if you, most of you have seen Babylon Five, but it may have been a while. Um, some of you are brand new to the series. Uh, what would you recommend, Erica, would be a good... Two questions. Uh, gateway, a, a gateway drug for inviting people to try the series and a great episode for rekindling your love of the series. Oh, this is this is a tough question. Uh, you know, in Doctor Who terms, it's like, where do you start somebody on classic Doctor Who? Well, there are as many answers as there are people. Um, I think... 
my initial gut reaction to tell people where to start if they're new to the show is really, okay, we're at a Doctor Who convention. I'm guessing a lot of the people here are like me and that they're kind of left brain completionists, like like to watch things in, in the same order. So if you're that kind of person, I would recommend starting uh, at, at the beginning with the, the pilot, which is the, called The Gathering. And I will warn you that it's, it's received fan wisdom that the, the pilot in the first season are a little janky, and I'm not going to argue with that. I think this is one of the cases where received fan wisdom is, is, is kind of right. But there are still a lot of good things in there. So if you watch with an open mind, and if you are committed enough to, to recognize that, that you're going to stick it out and get to where the arc really kicks in and the, the fires are burning, um, I think that's a good way to do it. However, if you are, are not that uh, completionisty and you're not necessarily sure you can stick it out through a whole, you know, twenty some twenty some episodes uh, of, of of stuff that is really a show that's that's interesting but still finding its feet. Um, I don't really know where is another great. What, what was the episode that we were just talking about that we thought would be a decent? Um, and now for a word. Oh yeah, yes, which is. It's kind of a good introductory episode. It's, it's a little bit experimental. It doesn't give you a great idea of what Babylon 5 is structure-wise, but it is told, and this is not terribly spoilery, it's told from the point of view of some reporters that have come to Babylon 5 to, to do a feature on the station and what it's like to live in space. So I think that that's actually a decent place to jump on. The show has kind of found its feet by then. Things are starting to move. It's, it's early in uh, mid, midway into season two. And because they're framing it as if it was sort of a, you know, 2020 um, or 60 minute special, you get introductions to all of the characters that are pretty basic. So if you want to show somebody that to, to have them jump on, I think that's... Yeah, it's almost, it's, it's almost like found footage. It's almost like, <laughs> it you know, is. that never happens in Doctor Who. <laughs> um, when, I was, uh, when I was trying to hook people on the show and and the show was on so trying to get people to start from the beginning and never watch the television uh, series that, that wasn't going to be a starter so you might as well spoil you might as well try to get people in with a really strong episode and there is a trilogy of episodes in the middle of season three that is some of the best science fiction storytelling ever and the third part won a Hugo and that is um. Uh. The. Oh. Don't look at me. I don't know titles at all. <laughs> I, I'm blank. Messages from Earth. Points of points of no return. Point of no return and severed dreams. Mm. And that is the story that changes the status quo of the Babylon Five universe forever. Uh, this costume goes away. <laughs> what was it? What were the? What was it called again? Uh, Messages from Earth, Point of No Return, and Severed Dreams. You watch those three episodes, if you've never watched Babylon 5 before, you will go back to the beginning and you will forgive everything that you're about to see. Yeah, it really is. A, it is a, a, a gripping point to start at. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for some something to, to get somebody to put their claws into it and say yes, this is for me, that's mm-hmm. that's probably a better place to start than in the gathering where that that can be kind of off putting. Having watched this with my husband, our control group, um, yeah, if he had started at the beginning without me making sure that he watched it every other week with me, I don't think that he would have continued. And even myself, if I hadn't randomly started in the middle of series three. I don't know that I would have stuck with it if I had started at the beginning. 
Yeah. Which would have been a crying shame because now I go back and I watch season one and I find so many things that I love about it. But like Sinclair. (laughs) Next question, Chip. when I was in when I was in college, I, I gave those three episodes uh, to, in grad school, whatever it was. I gave those three episodes to people uh, on VHS tapes to try to hook them on the show, and that that worked pretty well. Uh, when Babylon Five moved to TNT uh, from the increasingly inaccurately named Primetime Entertainment Network, um, they commissioned a new pilot, a new pilot or prequel movie, and we would legitimately call it a prequel. Yes, it's actually a prequel. I think the BBC should take notes. Yes, mm-hmm. called In the Beginning, and I had a I had a B five party at my house with a whole bunch of people who had never seen B five, and um, that is a great gateway drug. Um, we argued a little bit over which episode was going to be our first on the Audio Guide to Babylon Five. And Erica kind of won the day, even though I think, even though I think in the beginning is a stronger introduction to the series. In the beginning, gives away some really major spoilers about what happened at the Battle of the Line. And there's, there's yeah. a lot of mystery going on, um, even throughout series one. So like the arc hasn't exactly grabbed hold yet, but there are lots of little little seeds and mysterious things like the the line. There is a hole in your mind. Like that's cool writing, and that's that's the kind of thing. Like that, the answer to that would be spoiled if you had watched in the beginning first. And I just felt like I didn't want to cheat any of our listeners who really wanted to take it from the beginning and continue through. I didn't want to cheat them out of the deliciousness of of hearing these little things and not knowing what they meant. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's why I fought for that. Are there multiple TV movies? Because when you search for there are. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. In the beginning is is the one that we yeah. is the prequel one. The other ones are different. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't really decided how we're going to handle them on the podcast yet. <laughs> We've got time to. We've got this time. B five audio guide comes out every two weeks because we've got so many other projects on the go. So it is our it is our personal five year mission. It really is, yeah. So you know when you take a, a season Poor of television Stephen. and spread like spread it out every other week, he, yeah, he's he he's kind of he feels weird about the fact that I am recording a podcast that half of each episode of the podcast he's not allowed to listen to until five years later. So and he knows we're talking about him all the time. So. <laughs> Although, um, again, my, my costume, my magnificent costume uh, maestro, um, Stephanie. Stephanie, you do something a little different, and we make fun of you on the podcast every once in a while. Would you tell folks what you do and why? I, I, I do it wrong. That's what I, do the podcast. Um, I listen to the whole podcast. I refuse to watch the episodes ahead of the podcast, so I am only up to the middle of season two. Yep. Um, but I listen to both halves of the podcast. So I get all the spoilers, but I have no context. Which so is fascinating. <laughs> that is kind of an interesting. That is kind of an interesting thing. Not knowing anything about the show, and we feel like we're being very spoilery, and I guess we are. But if you have no context for what those words strung together in that order mean, it's probably I, I confusing. Use the spoiler, but at the very, very first episode, mm-hmm. you cut the spoiler date. You all said the same. We all, yeah, we we chanted and, a line. Yes, blank is blank. It meant absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> and then as 
series is going on from the episodes itself and from other spoilers mm-hmm. of the podcast. It's like you're sewing together like the whole picture of what that is. I guess it's kind of like a puzzle in that way. So, so yeah, yeah that's, that, that is another totally valid way to consume the podcast, even if it is wrong. Yeah, and this is, and this is something that is a testament to the fact that you had one showrunner who had one story to tell who went to the point of actually writing all but one episode in season three season four, season five. And this is not British television. This is American TV. 22 episodes a year. That's unheard of. One showrunner. Mm-hmm. He is still alive today. This is surprising. Yeah. <laughs> he made it through. He has a lot less hair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in episode one, Londo Malari, Centauri ambassador, explains to, uh, uh, to Commander Sinclair that he knows how he's going to die. Centauri have a death dream. And he, when he met... Jakar on the station for the first time that's the guy who I see strangling me to death 20 years from now with me wrapped around my hands wrapped around his throat we know how he's going to die unless something changes Um, (laughs) but we do not know why Stephanie's getting that experience like in spades Mm -hmm. because yeah it's and it's 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 fun it's fun Mm -hmm. Um, let's see here. We've got, we've got, uh, 30, we've we got 10, 10, 15, yeah, so mm-hmm. let's, um, what do you want to do? Um, do we want to do audience questions? Let's do some audience yeah. questions and comments. Let's talk about mm-hmm. B5 and Doctor Who fandom and where that intersects for you. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, like we said, we, we are going to do some spoilers, but try to keep like the really big ones uh, out of the questions. Dance around it if necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, first in the back. Um, I have two rescue cats, uh, both of them are black. The first one was spotted under the bush, and it's like, oh no, that's just a shadow. <laughs> so we, it is a mother-daughter cat, so we named the daughter Kash. So we have a balance of power at home. So oh. shadow and Kash. <laughs> oh, goodness. The second um, thing is that any of you guys from the Boston area where Babylon 5 was on the air, yeah. Bostonians? Yeah. Um, we, a friend of mine, knew someone that had a satellite dish, so he was able to grab the broadcast yes. out of the head, air, and we got recruited by our friend Steve. We were watching them in batches at one of the church's basement, and we were the cleanup crew after food. And <laughs> But you know, that's right. Uh, I had a friend with a satellite dish, did the same thing. He was my supplier. And, 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 what what are some of us doing today if we don't want to wait until BBC America shows? Or don't want to watch with commercials? I'm just saying. It's not. It, I'm, I'm just saying there are resonances. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yes. Here's a question: How um, how much do you credit the whole arc of Wanda with the current fascination of like Breaking Bad and all the other 
long descend into darkness type of story. You know, I never thought about that, but yeah, the the whole idea of the antihero who is you know just making bad choice after but also bad the choice. Love it, right? Not yes, only and who is choices. yes makes these terrible choices, and yet you are able to see that character as a full character and understand the motivations behind it. So you can't really rail against and hate them. It's it's not a mustache twirly villain, uh, and I think that. That, yeah, television these days has really gone in that direction. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those those writers saw that um, and, and brought it forward. Yeah, there's a um, there's a B five reference in uh, a late episode of Breaking Bad where uh, one of the co- one, one of the cops was listening to Badger and uh, had, had was doing surveillance on Badger and the guy's shaking his head and saying the guy just kept talking for two hours about something called Babylon Five. <laughs> And, and um, a recent a, a director of one of the recent episodes that we watched, and I forget his name, um, has risen to the ranks and was a major producer for Sons of Anarchy. So, um, so yeah, I, I think B five people in Hollywood, I think, are more aware of B five than the general public these days. Well, um, the other TNT show, uh, Leverage, made numerous Doctor Who references. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that may be my next podcast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Lurker's Guide to Leverage? I don't know. <laughs> I'd be all over that. I was going to say, in the first few years, it, it seemed like they were trying to cancel Babylon 5. Because oh, yeah. it competed with what she said before, Deep Space Nine. Yep. And that's why I felt, because I was watching it like at 1 o'clock in the morning, that it changed stations or... Uh, Went, went from pen to somebody else. Yep, kept booted around a lot. Yeah, it, it kept you know it kept jumping around, and I you know I, but I was following. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it reminds me of the efforts that we took to watch Doctor Who. You know, in the eighties, I mean, in, in the eighties, I mean, our P, PBS stations were bigger than the random independent cha- channels that B five would surface on one year and then move somewhere else the next. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, cult television. Seri- serious cult television. Doctor Who was cult television for America back then because you had the work to find it. Yeah. And you had the care. Yep. Yeah, so the people who were willing to put in the work and the effort to find those episodes of Babylon 5 or Doctor Who really felt even that much more invested in the show itself. And I think are sometimes we're more willing to forgive things because we've worked so hard to, to, to get it. Uh, I think that's a hallmark of cult television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other comments. Uh, Green hat, please. Uh, Torchwood 4 will show up again um, <laughs> as a miniseries and then will never be seen again. <laughs> I, I look forward to that. Uh, other comments? Yes. Um, I'm actually um, probably unusual. I got hooked on Babylon 5 before it premiered uh, mm. at a convention in 1993. Um, we were the first audience of the pilot of the gathering before it premiered. So we got to watch with J. Michael Stravinsky a pilot episode without music. Oh wow. Without sound effects. Oh. So the rings mm-hmm. you thought that looked strange in the pilot episode without sound effects or music. Too gravity. It was really <laughs> bizarre. Um, but after that and limited some of the special effects shots weren't completed yet. But after that we got it ushered into, some of us got ushered into a room 
and were basically grilled by J. Michael Stravinsky on what we thought of the pilot. And mm. things like, the guns really don't work. And he's like, oh, I'm taking care of that in the, in the pilot episode. There's got to be a throwaway line to explain why they have new guns. And it was very, very, very interesting on things he had already nailed in the pilot that he was going to change. That actually makes me want to talk a little bit about another parallel and something that's very different, um, and that is fan interaction with creators. Yes. That was such a big deal in uh, Babylon 5's history because JMS was... He was trying to get the show out there by any means necessary. You thought you, you thought MST3K was radical and keep circulating the tapes. <laughs> JMS was the first creator who was seriously online with fans. He was on CompuServe. He was on AOL. He was on um, on the on Usenet. Um, G- and yeah, Genie. Um, you can find all of those old posts where he uh, at JMSNews.net where he was. Interacting with fans, answering questions, bigging up the show, fighting trolls, and God, there were trolls. Um, <laughs> there always are. They're on Fuller, Ford Thaxton. I still remember those names. Um, and um, and and for a while there, I started to feel like we could have the same sort of thing with Doctor Who. Uh, it it was, and I thought it was really noteworthy that a few months before he was announced as the new showrunner, Stephen Moffat disappears from Gallifrey Base, or uh, having, having left a message a few, a few months previously where he's talking about why Russell doesn't participate is because you know he'd be paying too much attention to the fans when he has to reach out to a general audience. I would do the same thing. I think he was giving us a little subtle message. Mm-hmm. But um, the question for Erica and then for the rest of the group, you know, do you miss those days when you felt like there was more of an open pipeline between fan and creator? Or was that just of its time? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are still some shows that do it, but it's kind of dangerous almost these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like I said, I kind of missed out on that. So I, I don't have any nostalgia for for that time frame, um, looking at it from just today's perspective, I'm actually kind of glad that we don't have that sort of back and forth, simply because even with, you know, Stephen Moffat was on Twitter, which is, you know, in a microcosm of what you get on a forum uh, for a while, and that was just ugly. Like, just, you know, if you looked at his mentions, you would have people, like, I have no problem with people disliking the stuff that he was doing on television, but personal attacks and and stuff are just, that makes me uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm sure there was some of that back in the old days but Mm -hmm. the internet is so much bigger now than it was at the time and Doctor Who has become a bigger show than Babylon 5 ever was so I I think that that would not be a wise thing to open up those back and forth gates and I think that the fact that people are so vocal on the internet about how they feel about Doctor Who regardless of you know who's listening I think that the showrunners have access to all of that and I have a feeling like just you know based on where the show has gone in series nine, I think they're listening. I think they're paying attention. Um, so it's just, if, if you've got that one-way communication, I think that's okay. I think once it starts going back and forth, that's when things can go into a, a spiral of doom. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard that there were, 
I heard that at the Doctor Who Festival uh, this weekend that uh, the writing panel, uh, I've seen some reports that it didn't go well with fans at, with fans uh, at saying you know left-handed cr- criticism or making little digs during the Q&A session oh. as they were going on. And that's just, if people are doing that to showrunners' faces. In person. I think, I, I think. Uh, Anonymity would make it even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, comments or questions about B5? I, I have a question for the gentleman right here. You said, you know, what, when you first found out about that, yeah. what, it wasn't an icon, Stonybrook, was it? Um, no, it was uh, WishCon, which was in Springfield, Mass. Because right around the same time, that was like the second icon that they had, and they only had 32, that they put us in a room and they showed clips from, and this was for season two, showed clips, they played the song, um, Waiting for a Hero, Looking for a Hero, whatever. <laughs> it was really exciting. We had no idea what the show was, but everybody walked out of there and talked about, oh my gosh, can you believe it? I hope this really successful. It's the second season. And that's how we found out. Not yeah. on TV, I don't know what station it was on. It sounded like a reel. Sounds like season two reel. Sounds, but again, that was a show that really, really went after SF fans, mm-hmm. which is something that Doctor Who never had to do, because Doctor Who was for everybody. Yeah, people who love Doctor Who when it started, you know, in the '60s, are the people who were creating fandom spaces. So, you know, when Babylon Five came along, there were fandom spaces to go to 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 try to. You know, so, thank push you, Doctor Who fans. You made it. You made safe spaces for mm-hmm. for B Five. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yes. I just you mentioned something, and it reminded me of how somehow you throw tech things in because you can't do them in real life. In Serenity, there was no handle to steer the ship. It was just you know the guy holding his hand as tightly as he could like this to hide a supposed controller. Um, and one of the things in Babylon Five, I bring this up, there was like a spy or something. And you remember the communicator things they had on mm-hmm. the hand. Mm-hmm. Invented in the show was a way for that communicator to attach to the skin without like glue or whatever. And they mm-hmm. had this throwaway line to explain how they knew it was a, it was a spy yes. because it was like, you had to glue that thing on with Elmer's with actual with actual adhesive as opposed to like bonding to the you know molecular right, DNA. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about like the current state of the fandom? The show has been off the air forever. We don't know if it's ever coming back. Like, right. What is kind of the future as you see it, and even the present? Um, I've never participated in. I was living in a different country. I, I've never participated in the kind of the fandom back in the 90s. And recently I was like, oh, I'm on five, I wonder if the convention or anything, and I Googled and I couldn't find anything. Like it seems like it's died off, or maybe not, and I was surprised to see your podcast. So can you talk about that? Like where is it now? I think one of the, the, this is another sort of difference between Doctor Who and Babylon 5, is that Doctor Who, being an open-ended show has its fandom always holding on and hoping for more and more, whether it be in, you know, and it's always audience. generating new fans. Yes. Um, whereas with Babylon Five being you know an open and closed story, when it came to the end, people didn't have that same hope that it was gonna gonna come back. I mean, 
with ex the exception of a series is and, and yeah exactly but the the Babylon 5 story itself had, had come to an end and I think for a lot of people that was enough not me I wanted more um, yeah. so so that brings a little bit of a, a different thing to it but look at this room you guys like you guys have almost entirely filled up this room for a show that has been off the air for so long so I don't think that the love for it has died I just think that it's not quite as rabid as Doctor yes we've got time for one last comment and then I uh, want to share some info but go ahead well, couldn't there be a possibility of something like well, I think what's yeah what's happening what's what's happening now is uh, JMS is JMS has said that if he can't get Warner Brothers to bankroll a reboot, he's got the movie rights. That's the only thing that he's held on to that he was able to help hold on to for Babylon Five is he has the movie rights. Um, He's talking about ways to use the old cast in new roles, but he's talking about revisiting Babylon 5 because really that's about the only way that the show will live on. Uh, we complain a lot on the podcast that Warner Brothers, domestic, Warner Brothers didn't do right in preserving the episodes. They were shot widescreen in an attempt to be future-proof, but the... Um, the special effects were not created widescreen. No, and, uh, and you can tell... And now for a word is awful because they move the screen up to get your lower thirds graphics in, so you've got people's foreheads cut off. Yeah, so if you do start with that episode, note that that's kind of that's an outlier. kind of awful. <laughs> We're not always missing foreheads. So, <laughs> so B5 is, B, the state of B5 fandom is, it, it is truly cult. It is truly cult. The best way to get episodes are, on, are in DVD packages. But but uh, but the but they're not ideal, which means that it is not ideal for retransmission on television. Nor is it ideal for getting new people into the show. It's hard to create a new fan base when things are, are looking yeah. as rough as the DVDs do. But then again, when we're trying to encourage our friends to give classic Doctor Who a try, yep. it's the same, same thing. kind of thing. Use your imagination. Um, don't worry about that knuckling feeder creature over there. Um, <laughs> Ignore the drip off to the side. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you are fondly remembering Babylon Five, but you don't have your own stash, uh, there are several ways to get it. I think DVD is still the best way, yep. even though plastic media is dead. Uh, not for B 5s case, but it's also available on iTunes and, and Amazon, I believe. And Amazon and Amazon's particularly important if you're a completist because that is the only place I think, unless you get an old laser disc. And have a what, laser disc player. <laughs> that is the only place where you can get the original, um, the original cut of the pilot with the Stuart Copeland music and the awful zoo uh, scene in the alien sector and things like that. The re-edited version with the Christopher Funk music is better. But if you want to be a complete completionist. Um, the very original version is available on Amazon Instant Video. For the time being, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, look what Serenity did or didn't do for Firefly. Would a movie, would a B5 movie lift anything up? I think it would certainly drive some people back to the original show. Yeah. Um, it's but it's hard to, it's hard to know because Babylon Five is more than an intellectual property. It's a five year story, mm -hmm. and what would you do with a Babylon Five movie? Because Babylon 5's TV movie record was kind of spotty. Yeah. So, I don't know. 
We're we're pretty we much out of, time. out of time. Yeah. yeah. So it, thank you. Uh, we're at b5audioguide.com. We're on Twitter and Tumblr. B5 Audio Guide. That's so consistent. Yep. And um, and we'd love if you haven't listened to any episodes. Start at zero. Start at your favorite. We're not doing this as something that you have to keep up with week by week. We're doing this as a as a perpetual guide, and we'd love to mm-hmm. we'd love to talk with you online. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.